Hello to all of our ACAC and Fellowship 412 family. I am Pastor Sheldon Williams. I am the campus pastor at Fellowship 412. And just like Pastor Ross did in the very beginning, I wanna wish all of you a very happy new year and hope that this year will be a blessed one for all of you. Today's sermon will be focusing on some scripture in Genesis 29. And if you have been following the ACAC teachings, you will have noted that the week that Genesis 29 was supposed to be covered, we had decided to pause to do some prayer and worship. Pastor Allen instructed that we should have some intentional time of prayer and also invited all those to participate with a time of prayer and worship. So I asked Pastor Allen, I said, when I was preparing for this message, would it be okay for me to use Genesis 29 for this sermon? because I wanted to make sure we would be always in sync with where we were going. And he so politely obliged and said, by all means, do so. But I was doing that not just to cover the chapter because it had not been covered before. I also wanted to pick this because I believe Genesis 29 is pertinent for a topic that I want to discuss today. And that is a topic that I think may be relevant, especially in the midst of our current global situation. The passage of scripture I want to read comes from Genesis 29, but I'm only reading 31 through 35. I want to invite you to go back and read all of chapter 29, and I will cover some other things by mentioning it, but today's focus will be verses 31 to 35. And the focus of today's sermon is going to talk about loneliness. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible version, and you can read along as I read today's scripture. Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, he was named Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she named him Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Now, I want all of you to announce my sermon title today. And if you're in a room with someone, you can directly state it right to them. They can say it to you. You can say it to them. And if you are viewing this by yourself, I want you to announce it as if you are telling yourself. The title is, You Are Not Aaliyah. And I'm going to count one, two, three, and I want us all to announce that together. So you ready? One, two, three. You are not Aaliyah. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, in these moments, I lay myself before you. I ask for another special deposit of your Holy Spirit. And that way I can continue on the path that you had illuminated in my study so that I can share appropriately what you desire to be shared. Father, I ask that you would hide me behind the cross, that no flesh will glorify in thy sight. And by your Holy Spirit, guide me, guide my lips, and direct my words so that they meet their intended path. 
I pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people will say, amen. Now, on these first few days of the new year, I reflect on the previous year and want to express that there are some words and phrases that I prefer never to have to hear or say again. I mean, I want to leave these words like Pastor Ross said in a rearview mirror going way back to 2020. And I'm about to share these words and could probably guess that you could add a few of your own. We have both heard and verbalized these words throughout most of 2020. Words like social distancing, masks, pandemic. And there's one I think they should strike from the dictionary, never to be used ever again. The word unprecedented. I don't ever want to hear that word ever again. Now, we have heard these words over and over throughout 2020. And sadly, we'll probably continue to hear them until we can get on the better side of this pandemic. Yet there is also another word that describes what people are experiencing that can be a direct result of some of the pandemic mitigation efforts. But sadly, existed before the pandemic and will definitely affect someone long after the pandemic has passed. That word is loneliness. And it affects, can be troubling to both the mind and the spirit of those who unfortunately have to bear the burden of experiencing it. Earlier, I asked you to announce my sermon title with me. And I specifically used Leah's name because her life experiences can be a useful teaching for us all. When I asked you to state, you are not Aaliyah, it was not intended to be an exercise to make us all feel better about ourselves by making some half-hearted comparison of our lives as compared to hers. That is often a common tactic of some to make themselves feel better about their situation. Let me tell you some of these common phrases. I'm sure you're familiar with them. Phrases like, at least I am not as bad as you can insert the word or situation. Or, I'm glad I'm not like you can insert the word or situation. But when it comes to loneliness, it is something that any person can experience at any point in their life. I am using Leah as a symbol of loneliness because what we read about her life suggests she lived a life journeying with a burden of loneliness. But pathways of loneliness can either be constructive or destructive. The results are determined by the person's response. How a person responds to the feelings of loneliness can motivate them to pursue healthy ways to alleviate it or move towards unhealthy ways to try to overshadow it. And when loneliness makes an appearance, it arrives with an inherent burden, a realization that an inner void exists and a personal desire has remained unfulfilled. Having a desire for companionship, friendships, Relationships are all acceptable ways to combat the feeling of loneliness. Problems arise when individuals try to alleviate 
their unfilled burden by attaching themselves to unhealthy people and unhealthy practices. And when I say unhealthy, I'm referring to those people or those practices that can wear you down instead of building you up. The feelings of loneliness can inherently cause a person inner pain and does not need the assistance of false relationships or needless activities such as substance abuse, unwise spending, or even more, more isolation. I mentioned these few because these are some of the ways people try to cope with loneliness. It has been my experience that individuals who state that they are lonely don't usually report being full of joy because of this loneliness. I often hear people say they feel saddened, they feel depressed, they feel unwanted, or they feel unloved. In an effort to try to cope with these undesired feelings, they can end up producing more damage to themselves instead of providing something good. Because feelings of loneliness rarely want to be relished. They often want to be relieved. People typically don't hold on to their loneliness. They don't want to. They may be in a situation, but it's not their utmost desire. They often desire a remedy to the pain associated with that loneliness. Now, Leah's story gives us a glimpse of this type of pain. Leah has had her share of lonely moments. And Genesis 29 directly and indirectly describes some of these painful moments. And I'm going to show you some of these direct and indirect ways. Genesis 29 begins with the continuation of Jacob's journey of locating a wife. The beginning of the journey called him to start it alone. But the purpose of his journey was to find a wife so he would not have to live a life alone. And journeys of loneliness do not have to be permanent. They can be interrupted with the introduction of a purposeful plan. People feel lonely for a reason. They may feel detached from others or unable to feel satisfied within themselves. And having a purposeful plan to address the dissatisfaction can put an end to the feeling of loneliness. But I want to make a distinction, a very clear distinction. And it needs to be made regarding being alone versus being lonely. The two don't have to mean the same thing. When we say alone, it can simply be referencing a state of being. Here's an example. If you're in your house by yourself, you are alone in your home, but may not necessarily feel lonely. But when we speak of loneliness, it is referencing a state of a feeling. You can be in constant company of other people and still feel like you are lonely. Because loneliness results from a desire to be connected. It is centered on some form of disconnectedness. 
We can see this play out. People who are supposed to be connected, yet are living a life of disconnectedness. We see this in marriages, friendships. We see this in households between family members. We see this in the workplace between coworkers. We see it even in the church body. And all these are examples where individuals can be in the company of other people, yet remain feeling lonely, holding on to a sense of loneliness. It is how we connect that helps us combat that loneliness. And if we think about it, as we center ourselves around the Lord, he then guides us in our abilities to be properly connected. Jesus said it like this. He said this in John 17. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and you loved them just as you loved me. Familiar to many. But let me translate for you so that it makes practicality of where I'm going. Here's my translation of that John 17. If you are connected with me and I am connected with you, then the world will know of this connectedness that originates from the Father. We as believers don't have to remain lonely because we are always invited to connect to the Father. Conversely, unbelievers don't have to feel lonely either because we are the bridge that can help them connect with the Father. And so we see in this story playing out in Genesis 29, the story demonstrates a desire for connectedness playing out differently between two people. It plays out differently for Jacob than it does for Leah. Remember from some earlier teachings that Jacob was sent away from the only family he knew to search for a wife among the kinfolk of his mother. He left Beersheba, headed to find Laban in Haran. That was his trek. And the distance between Beersheba and Haran is approximately 450 miles. Now, sidebar, when I was a young man, me and Faye were dating, I would walk from Wilkinsburg to Homewood, and I really thought my efforts were noble, trudging those couple of streets going from Wilkinsburg to Homewood. But that pales in comparison to what Jacob is doing. He traveled 450 miles just to be granted the possibility of finding a wife. Now, that may not sound like a lot, unless you're the one to have to walk it. And the same can happen when we hear of other people's feelings of loneliness. It may not seem to be to you that significant because we are not the ones who are walking through that issue of pain, of loneliness. Rest assured, though, God is fully aware of it and desires to walk alongside of you until you overcome the feelings of that loneliness. And along Jacob's lonely journey, he had the first of several profound God moments. 
profound God moment. Because lonely experiences in life can sometimes be opportunities for divinely inspired ones. When Jacob found himself alone, he also found an opportunity to be alone with God. He had a dream that transformed his thinking. And in this dream, the Lord reiterated his promise he had made previously to both Abraham and to Isaac, and now being confirmed to Jacob. And to fulfill this promise made to his father and grandfather, Jacob needed to find a wife. And in the midst of this dream of confirmation, the Lord expressed this to Jacob. Behold, I am with you. Which gave Jacob a sense of assurance that he is on the right journey, despite being alone. Now I realize what I just shared was more related to Genesis 28 than it was to Genesis 29. But to understand the pain of Leah, we must remember the process that perpetuated her pain. We read how Jacob arrived in Haran and was so enamored by Rachel's beauty that he fell instantly in love with her at first sight. For all those naysayers out there of love at first sight, you got Bible reference showing you directly an instance where somebody fell in love right at first sight. So here he is, Mr. Macho. He's going to show himself up, and he pulls out his A-game of swag to try to win her over, right? So he tries to impress her by going up and rolling away this stone of this watering well. Well, what's so important about that? He did this by himself, and he did this when there were three other shepherd guys waiting for the stone to be rolled back. Now, there's two ways to look at this. Either the stone was so heavy that it took more guys, that's why they were waiting, or possibly they could have been waiting for permission because of some custom. In either way, it doesn't matter, because here comes Jacob trying to be the Mr. Impressive Man, and he's going to do this so he can win the heart of Rachel. And so he does this in very grand fashion. But then after that, that wasn't enough to show his brawn and his muscle. He then runs right up, kisses her, and then weeps right in front of her. Now, this might play out well in some Hallmark Channel or whatever, some love story might. But if you're looking at this, when I first read it, I'm sitting there looking like, for those who might be watching that's still in the dating game, I wouldn't recommend this method of winning somebody over as a potential mate. Run up to them without an introduction, kiss them, and just start wailing in front of them. I don't know how many points that's going to win you, so I would recommend you not do it. But this is what Jacob has done. And Jacob then is taken to Laban. And Jacob is well received by his uncle. And in turn, here is Jacob expressing his desire to marry Laban's daughter. But there was a specific daughter he wanted to marry. And that was his daughter, Rachel. And Laban tells Jacob that the dowry for Rachel is seven years of servitude, which, by the way, is an extreme dowry for this time period. Yet, this shows the commitment of Jacob. He's willing to serve that just to win the hand of the one he's so enamored with. And so, he serves. 
he gladly accepts this service opportunity and serves Labram, Labram for seven years. But at the conclusion of this seven-year period, Jacob then comes back and he's ready to marry Rachel and asks Laban to honor their agreement. But on the night, that wedding night, when Jacob thought he was marrying Rachel, he was duped by Laban and was given Leah instead. Now, some people may look at this and say, this is some sort of reap what you have sown, right? Jacob was one who used to deceive, now being a recipient of some deception. But that doesn't excuse what Leah's experiencing. Let's focus on what Leah's going through during this time. When describing Leah, the scripture makes a blatant comparison between her and her sister. Leah is described as having eyes that were weak. And I think this is them being polite in scripture. Eyes that are weak. And it, that's in the NSB, in a, NASB version. And so other versions talk about dull eyes or weak eyes, or they make some reference about something that is not right about Leah's eyes. But Rachel, and it puts the butt in the translation that I read, her eyes are weak, but look, look over here at Rachel. She's beautiful in figure and appearance. Wow. Forever captured and documented in Scripture. You got a description of one and this other one being upstaged over here. And that comparison makes it apparent that Leah, who absolutely is the older sister, is consistently living in the shadow of her younger sister, who's being described as more pleasant and pleasing to look at than what Leah is. If that's not enough, to make Leah feel unwanted? Her own father had to devise a plan to fool another man just to make sure she would be married. Now I'm sure this can cause Leah to feel so unloved. And finally, Jacob would not be satisfied even after being duped, even after, after uh, consummating the marriage, even after he had did the whole wedding night and all the ritual and I understand that he was deceived, that wasn't enough. He then would go back and say, I'll serve you another seven years just so that I can have Rachel as my wife. And what about Leah? Standing right here, absorbing it all. Now, some people look at it and think he served seven more years and then he was given Rachel. And that's not how the scripture lays out. He was actually immediately given Rachel as his wife. He did serve those seven years, but he was immediately given Rachel as his wife. Now you have both of them living inside the same home under the same constant tension of one who is unloved and one who is unable to bear children. Tension. This would be the real lives of the Hebrew wives or something, something to the like. And this type of tension would play out day in and day out. These are times where it may be far better to be favored by God than be famed by man. It is clear that Jacob, Jacob's favorite is Rachel. Yet that didn't stop him from visiting Leah's bedroom. And for a time, Leah's hopes were that Jacob would love her equally as he loved Rachel. 
And although not directly stated, it is fair to surmise that Leah was left feeling lonely. Leah's life of feeling unloved gives us a prescription to combat the feelings of loneliness. We find that prescription in the translated names of the first four of her children. The prescribed steps for countering loneliness is behold, hear, join, and praise. It is the prescribed steps you can take to combat any inner feelings of loneliness. Now, allow me to explain this first by using Leah's words and her time of loneliness to explain how we may be able to overcome our own. Let's look back on the scriptures that we read today. Leah named her first son Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Well, Reuben is translated meaning is behold a son. The word behold has such a stronger emphasis than just seeing. When we are experiencing moments of loneliness, it may require that we try to behold the wonders of God, not only with our natural eyes, but also with our spiritual eyes so we can observe him in all his magnificence and all his majesty. Next, Leah conceives a second child and names him Simeon because she said, the Lord has heard that I am unloved. Simeon is translated meaning, meaning is he has heard. And when experiencing moments of loneliness, we should be comforted in knowing that the Lord hears you and understands your pain. He says he'll never leave you. He won't forsake you and that he's always close to the brokenhearted. Next, we have Leah, who conceives a third time and a third son, and she calls him Levi because she thought, surely now, Jacob would become attached to her. Levi's translated name means joined or attached. And when experienced moments of loneliness, we can have the confidence that God doesn't run away from the hard stuff. He joins us on the journey through the difficult times, reminding us that we can overcome and emerge victorious. And finally, Leah's name for her fourth child is Judah, which translates to to praise. Now, Leah's words here, this this, this is her words. This time I will praise the Lord. I notice, and sure, you may notice as well, a very significant change here. In all three of the previous births, she made Jacob her focus. But this time, a shift has occurred. And Jacob somehow dropped off the radar. And now, this time, she focuses her praise on the Father. When we experience moments of loneliness, try diverting your attention away from the pain of that loneliness and try to offer up a praise to the Lord in advance of his provisions to help you get through it. These are the prescription, the prescribed steps on how we can combat loneliness. So I asked all of you to announce my sermon title with me so that you will make a declaration against loneliness. And Leah's life was full of it. It was full of loneliness. But I want you to hear this now. You are not a Leah 
Why? Because with God, you are not alone. I want to share some lyrics with you from a song that couches this in a very profound way. Now, I want to give you notice. This was not written as a worship song, wasn't intended to be, but the words are so impactful. And those who may be lonely right now might hear this in a way that I'm trying to capture it. You may sense this the very same way how this song plays out. So this is the beginning parts of the lyrics. This is what it says. Some people might be walking this out in their pain of loneliness. Another day has gone. I'm still alone. How could this be? You're not here with me. You never said goodbye. Someone tell me why. Why did you have to go and leave my world so cold? Every day I sit and ask myself, how did love slip away? Something whispers in my ear and says, and I can definitely hear the Lord saying this to all who are experiencing loneliness. thank God that he never leaves us at a place where we ever have to feel like we're alone. And don't you feel so burdened, even if you're walking in a pathway of loneliness, do not guilt yourself because this is where you're at right now. As I said earlier, any person at any time can experience the same thing. Just know that the God who created us understands your pain, knows exactly where you're at, and he is reminding you, though you feel separated and disconnected from so many, he never leaves you alone. 